Has anyone here been caving before? I don't know if I've told this story before. A couple of you guys, not many, one, two maybe. I, uh, for me, I have been caving. It was an experience for sure, to be honest. Um, one time, <laughs> that was enough for me. I was 14 and I had to because we went on school camp down at Tongariro National Park and, uh, and I had to. And um, there was like 35 of us or something and you had to go into the caves and there was this place called the letterbox, which was the worst part. Because it was like a, it kind of was shaped like you would go in and then up and then over and then down. So it was kind of like this periscope kind of shape. And it was, you know, you got bumps and bruises and scrapes. You had to take all your gear off and kind of go like this. And you did, weren't sure because you couldn't see anything, obviously. You weren't sure where it was going. It was terrible. And all that was to get into the central cave which everyone's like, oh, the central cave. And you know how when your expectations are raised really high and you get there, it was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. It wasn't that impressive. I do remember, though, because the, they made us all turn out the lights and then the teachers tried to scare us or whatever, you know. It was the utter darkness that you, like you're doing this and you just couldn't see anything. I actually took a picture of it. Here's the picture here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, anyway. When you experience that darkness, right, that sort of pitch black, like like your eyes are closed, but your eyes are closed in a dark room and you can't even see your hands in front of your face, you can imagine how easy it is to get lost um, in the darkness, how easy it is to, when you can't see, to, to go the wrong way. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of a, na- a game called Pokemon Go. Have you guys heard of that game? Yeah? It's very popular like two or three years ago or so. It still is? Okay. There we go. I think we've got a, a player over here. <laughs> okay. It's apparently still popular. Uh, basically, you, you use your phone to go around and catch little digital monsters uh, around, or around in the world. It's an augmented reality game. So you wander around, you're looking at your phone like, there's one over there. You've got to catch it. Um, and... Um, it was, it's been infamous in the past for people getting lost while playing this game because they kind of are focused on the screen and on the world around them and there's a Pokemon over there. That's what these little digital monsters are called and they go and try, chase it. And there's been stories of people who have just kind of suddenly looked up from their phone and gone, I have no idea where I am. Um, and even more than that, <laughs> um, two men fell more than 50 feet off a cliff while they were playing this game. <laughs> Because they were distracted and they jumped over a fence to, you know, whoop, <laughs> they both survived. But um, it's a hundred percent genuine story from um, the independent um, news site. So anyway, going for a walk, being distracted, getting lost—it's um, easy to get lost. Um, surprisingly, even in this modern world. Um, to wander off a path, to never arrive at your destination, to go, how did I get here? What's going on? I experienced this again when I was younger. Seems a lot of my my scary memories happened about the age of 10 and 15. But I was in a, we, I was in a youth group and we went out in Swanson, of course, West Auckland. This is what you do. You go for midnight bushwalks without any torches. <laughs> 
Apparently, that's what you do. So you have the leaders at the front, and they've got the only torch, and they're there, and then everyone's holding on to the back of the person in front of the pack, and they're all like, don't let go, you'll get lost, or you might die. And like, well, that's the way to really get confidence up as we go into the bush at midnight with no torches. Um, but then they got us in the bush, and then the leader switched off their torch, and they're like, just listen, and you hear rustling, and they're like, now, if that's a wild pig, don't worry about it, because if it charges at us, we'll take care of it, all right? You're like, what the heck? And it's a great way just to every rustling noise. You're like, is that a possum or is that a wild pig that's coming to get us? And, you, and they're like, oh, it'll be fine. They might just wander past, you know, just scaring everything out of us. But these feelings and experiences of getting lost, of being in the dark, of being scared, of being alone, they're common experiences that we associate with, with that sort of thing. And Jesus uses this experience in our passage today um, of darkness. And he's using it at a time when there was no electricity, uh, and so it was even more scary. You didn't have torches. You kind of had lamps or you had the starlight. Um, And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into what Jesus talks about in terms of light and darkness this morning. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word and we consider these sayings and what you said about who you are and and what that means for us, we just ask that you would... um, your words would go deep in our hearts, that you would speak to our souls, Lord, and that you would um, just really bring clarity and revelation to us this morning, that we may follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're back in John 8. So if you want to open your Bible, you can go to John 8 this morning. We started there two weeks ago. We went back to John 6. We're back in John 8. And before Jesus drops the reference that we talked about where he says, before Abraham was, I am, and everyone tries to kill him, he he says this in uh, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the question we kind of want to ask is, why would Jesus say something at this point in the gospel? What makes it relevant? Because um, there's this uh, you know, idea that Jesus could just be, like, without context, talking about him being like this, right? <laughs> you guys ever seen cars? Mater talks about the ghost light, um, which is just a light that follows him around. If you took it out of context, Jesus is the light of the world. He's like a giant light in the sky that could be uh, just following us around. Now, that's not what Jesus talks about. So we go back for context, so we're going to John chapter 7, 1 to 5, which is the last time we have a reference to time, what time of year it is, what season it is. And uh, we're in 1 to 5. And it says, After this, Jesus traveled to Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Then it says, The Jewish festival of shelters was near. So that's our time frame, the Jewish festival of shelters. His brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he is seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then aside, <laughs> for not even his brothers believed in him, which is a great endorsement, isn't it? Uh, on the, uh, oh, so, and then, festival of shelters. Then we get another descriptor later on, because Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go up. Then he does go up halfway through the festival. And then this happens on the last and most important day of the festival. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow 
from deep within him. So it's the festival of booths. It's the last day of the festival. Jesus has said this, and then we get into our verse. Okay. Now, I have to include uh, just a little aside here that's not really anything to do with uh, what we're talking about this morning, but you may notice that um, at the start of John chapter 8, there's little brackets in your Bible, if you're following along, and it will say, um, in the earliest manuscripts, these verses are not included. Okay, And so that just means that um, the earliest copies of John's manuscript in the first century don't include the story of the woman caught in adultery. And we could have a whole lesson on textual criticism about that, but we're just going to put that to the side. And I'm just going to say that Jesus' comments in verse 12 follow directly after his comments here on the last day of the festival. And so what is the festival of booths and why is it important? Why does Jesus say this? And then why does Jesus say, I am the light of the world? That is a great question. I'm glad you asked. It was a festival that is you that the Israelites celebrated every year to a festival of booths, festival of shelters, to commemorate their time in the wilderness when they lived in booths or shelters. And so they commemorated particularly two things. One was God's provision for them of water from the rock. And so to commemorate that every day at the end of the day of the festival for the duration, which was about seven days, they... Um, would take some water from the pool of Siloam, which is features later in the chapter, and would bring it up to the temple, and they would pour this water out from the temple down the temple steps to symbolize the water from the rock. And that's when they're doing the ceremony, pouring the water, and Jesus, who likes the dramatic, I think, says, if anyone comes to me, he will have streams of living water flowing out of him as this water is flowing down the steps. And everyone's like, grumble, grumble, grumble at Jesus. And then... Uh, what they did on the first day of the festival is they would um, light massive candelabra on the first day of the festival in the temple courts, and they would burn for the whole festival to commemorate the second part of the festival, which was um, God's presence as a pillar of fire to the people in the desert. This is a, a recreation of what they look like. So there's four candelabra you see in the temple courtyard there, massive things, burning, and uh, one quote from an early historian uh, from the book of Sukkot says, all Jerusalem reflected the light of those things. And so they were there to show um, and symbolize God's illuminating presence. Now, on the last day of the festival, they would extinguish all of these lights and there would be darkness. And you can imagine (laughs) on the last day of the festival, at time when it gets dark and all the lights are extinguished, then out of the darkness comes this voice, I am the light of the world. And you're like, oh, it's that Jesus again, you know? What's he doing? But it's a massive impact, right? People are looking around going, who said that? What was that? What does this mean? And so this is the context in which Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. And so what, are we, what does he mean when he says that? because he's connecting Old Testament stories with his identity. And you've seen that all, all along, right? For the first one where he says, before Abraham was, I am, he's talking about the exodus and the burning bush. Last week, with the feeding of the 5,000 and I am the bread of life, he connects it with the manna in the wilderness. And he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And now he's connecting it with this pillar of fire that was with the people in the wilderness. So what is that? mean? What's he saying? Well, three things that Jesus signifies about himself for us. 
And the first thing is that he is the presence of God, right? I am the light of the world. He's embodying that idea in the middle of a festival where the light that has just been extinguished symbolized for the people the presence of God with them. And then he says, I am the light of the world. That means that he is the presence of God in the world. He is the embodied presence. And this follows on from what he talked about last time when he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the one who bears the presence of God in the world at that time. And he confirms that when he calls his body the temple, right? He says to the people, they say, show us a sign. And he says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they're like, it took 46 years. But then John adds this comment. They didn't realize that he was talking about the temple of his body. And you guys know that in the ancient world, a temple was literally the house of a god, a place where God took up residence. And so you would go to the god's house, you would go to their temple. And so for Jesus to say that he was the temple, to say that he was the location of the presence of God amongst the people. And in the desert, that meant that the people had God with them, that he was looking out for them, that he was the one fighting their battles. When they got to um, cross the Red Sea, And the people were freaking out. God said, they'll just have to look and see what I will do, and I will deliver them. And so that's what God has claimed to be, the deliverer of his people. And that's what the fire meant for them, the presence of God as deliverer. It meant that they didn't have to be afraid because God was with them. Were they afraid? Heck yes, they were afraid all the time. And sometimes I think we tell ourselves, Uh, If I'd been in the desert and I'd seen that pillar of fire there every night, you know, over the tent of meeting, I wouldn't have been afraid. I would have been like Caleb and Joshua. I would have been, you know, right there saying, let's take over the land. But the truth is we, we probably wouldn't, to be fair. Jesus said this to the Pharisees as well. He said, you guys say that if we'd lived, we never would have killed the prophets. But he said, you would have. And God, in his gracious wisdom, gives us a time and a place to live where we can best follow him. The presence of God was also uh, it was uh, a comfort and a security for them. It should be for us too. We know that Jesus is present with us. We shouldn't fear stress. We do, but we shouldn't because God is present with us right now. We remember where two or three are gathered in his name. He is present amongst us. It's easy to forget because it's not a physical manifestation. You can't see him right now, even though he's here. The people of Israel had a pillar of fire and a massive cloud that would physically get up and move when it was time for them to move. And they still forgot that God was present amongst them. And when Moses was up on the mountain and they could see all the stuff happening up there, they still made an idol of gold and worshiped that while the God who had delivered them was just up the mountain But Jesus is reminding us this morning that he is present. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're dealing with, he's here. And he's promised that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. So hold on to that presence this morning, that presence of God. Second thing is that light gives clarity. Jesus is saying he gives clarity. Do you know there's some countries in the world, Norway being one of them, where in winter... Uh, In the northern part of Norway, the sun doesn't even come up over the horizon. Can you imagine that? In the southern part of Norway, they get four hours of sunshine. It's great. Um, But in those countries, during winter, the suicide rates go up through the roof because of the persistent darkness. Like I can't imagine living in 
almost perpetual darkness for nearly six months of the year. So there's this idea that light, sunlight is healthy for us. You know, it gives us vitamin D and it's physically healthy and good for us. But there's something about the sun that is emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually good for us. I even notice it during winter when the days are kind of like they are today, but even a little bit darker where there's cloud cover and it's dark and it's dark. Like we were driving out to a party last night at 5.30 and it was dark. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? It's dark at 5.30, there's clouds over there. Um, It has something, an effect on your mood, perpetual dullness. Sunlight changes everything. It lifts your mood. It provides clarity. It shows things as they are. Like you could walk through a field at night and be freaked out. You walk through the same field at the day, and you're like, oh, whatever, that thing that I was scared of, it was a tree stump, you know? Um, You're much less afraid. I mean, there's a reason why scary movies are mostly set at the dark in the forest, right, at a cabin in the middle of nowhere, because those things are innately scary, whereas if it was set uh, at a, a house or downtown in the middle of the day, it's not kind of innately scary. Jesus talks about himself in these terms of bringing clarity. As I said, all the lights at the festival are extinguished and he cries out. He's letting people know that if they follow him, they're going to see the world as it truly is. They're going to see the darkness pushed back and they're going to see that scary shadow over there that I thought was something I should be afraid of is actually something that I don't need to be afraid of. We're going to see the world as God sees it. And the interesting thing is, God sees it like this. Psalm 139 says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. The psalmist continues, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God sees everything, even in the darkness. It's like day. And he offers that transformed way of seeing the world to us. What we need to do, though, is to walk in that light. And that's the third thing that Jesus calls us to, obedience. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. Jesus calls us to lay our lives down, lay down the way that we think life should be, lay our plans for ourselves down at his feet and follow his leading. And that's not easy. That's hard. It's not always fun. It's not always exciting, but it's the most fulfilling life that Jesus promises. He says later, you'll have life and life abundantly. As we go through these statements, we'll see more and more how Jesus invites us into a different life, a different way of being far beyond what we can imagine for ourselves. We talked about that last week where Jesus provides sustenance for us that is more than we could imagine. That is not just physical but spiritual sustenance for our souls. But we have to follow. Jesus says in that saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. So you see there's active words there, following and walking. But we'll have the light of life. It's not call to simply relax and chill and bask in the light because the people of Israel when the fire was there that was great but what happened when God wanted them to move on the fire lifted and moved and if they didn't move they were going to get left behind Jesus calls us to do this as well he's to go where he goes to live his life here and now with our own life 
And John, who wrote this gospel, echoes this in his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. It's this idea of walking again. If we're walking, if our way of life, our way of going through the world is darkness, then we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we following the light? Are we walking in the light? Does our way of life embody that way of Jesus? Or are we stuck in place? Are we kind of like can see the light off in the distance and we're the last people in the line of Israel following that cloud, but we're still trying? Or are we just like, no, I'm just going to stay here? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we walking in the light? I always talk about light. One of the most annoying experiences that you can have um, is when it's dark and you're almost asleep in bed and someone comes in and turns the lights on. Anyone experience that? Like, what? Well, yeah, I see that face there. I echo that. I echo that face, right? You're cozy. Yeah, you too. Good on you, mate. Yeah, no, no. I've never personally experienced it, you know, not in all my years. Um, of being married ever um, you know you're cozy in bed and you, you know someone comes and turn the lights on the lights burn your eyes start to water you cover your sheets and you're like oh what are you doing you know they're just me no one else does that <laughs> happens to me in the mornings as well the worst part is when you get up before the sun like I did this morning and you know you have to turn on a light to like have a shower or eat breakfast, because you can't do it without the light on, but you know it's going to burn. And so, do you guys ever do this? Like, you cover your eyes, and then you turn the light on, and then you slowly kind of do this? Or is that just me? Like, I try and adjust my eyes underneath my hand to get it. That's fine. (laughs) But knowing everything that Jesus, knowing that, you can understand why Jesus is presence and his call is so confronting to people because it's like he came and switched the spiritual light on for them in the middle of darkness and their reaction is kind of like that reaction that you have when someone turns the light on in the middle of the night they're kind of like oh you know they get angry they start yelling they try and walk away they cover themselves they try and escape from it jesus puts it like this this is judgment the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So they've covered their face to try and keep in the darkness. So the question is that knowing all of this, knowing that the light of the world has come, what is our response to that light? Are our eyes squinting, you know, like trying to adjust them? Have we got our hands over them? Have we got our covers over our heads? Jesus goes on to talk about the different reactions in that. So we've got um, verse 19, which is just after he said, you know, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So this morning as Michaela comes to lead us and as we respond, I want us to be thinking about that question. 
What's our response to Jesus and to the light of the world? How do we respond to his challenging statement? Do we actually seek the clarity that he offers? Do we seek to see the world as he sees it? Do we seek to obey out of gratitude for the light coming? Do we seek his presence each day? Do we turn our thoughts and our focus towards him? How might we do that if God's challenging us this morning to more of his presence, more clarity, more desire of that light in our lives? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world, that you have come into the world as the presence of God to bring clarity and to call us to you. We thank you that in you there is light and truth and goodness and that you call us towards you. We pray that you would give us the courage to step out into that call, that even though light hurts our eyes if we've been walking in darkness, you would give us the grace to endure and to come closer to you so that our eyes may adjust to the truth of who you are. And we know, Lord, that this is going to be an ongoing journey for us of adjustment and readjustment. We just pray that your grace would sustain us through that and that as we respond and worship to you this morning that you would um, just continue to draw us, to enlighten us, to enliven us, to reveal your truth to us. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.